Hello and welcome to a special emergency edition of Oh God, What Now? But for once, the emergency news is good news. I'm Dorian Linsky and joining me are Naomi Smith and Alexandre. Kim Ledbetter is the new Labour MP for Batley and Spen, following in the footsteps of her sister, Jo Cox. Um, Alex, the Tories have lost two by-elections in a row they widely predicted to win. Will Boris Johnson face a leadership challenge? <laughs> uh, no, of no, course not. No, no, no. But, but seriously, like the, the narrative here, and, and, I, and I'm reflecting, I suppose, even on, on what we did in the, in the panel show, is that I think that we didn't talk enough about uh, Labour actually winning, about the possibility of Labour actually winning, because um, I think the narrative was so overwhelmingly um, yeah. that Labour were going to lose, whether that was due to George Galloway or, or not. And this follows, you know, Cheshire and Amersham, which is a real upset. Like, is it? Do you know what? It's been a bad time, right? I'm actually delighted that we've got Naomi with us today because I was having a private sort of little WhatsApp exchange with Naomi uh, three, four days ago saying I was sensing something in the water that the narrative had changed a little bit and Labour had stopped trying to manage expectations quite so much Mm. and, uh, you know, it seemed to be um, much closer than everyone thought and and I I just could feel in my waters that that it, it had somehow changed and that was just before the Hancock affair, which then hit and I think also... Um, affected the narrative quite considerably. Oh, you think it did? You think it did definitely? I do. Yes, yes, I do. I do. Um, I I don't think it had a massive effect, but I I do think it had an effect in that all this stuff, like I've said before on the show, people may not pay attention to the detail, but in general, stuff that makes people pay attention to politics, it makes them turn that way and look that way, is generally speaking quite good for the party that's not involved in whatever scandal is going on and quite bad for the party that is. So it's in in a very general way, but yes, I think it does have a mild effect. And there was this incredible YouGov poll out yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Friday morning, um, showing that only 3% of British voters hadn't been aware of the Hancock story. Now, we as, you know, politically interested people would say, well, of course, everyone's heard of it. But that is staggering. You know, you you might poll and find 3% of people hadn't heard of COVID. Um, You know, very, very few issues cut through to that extent. So I think Alex is probably right. I was in Batley and Spen on the Friday before polling day. Um, well, it's it's it's, it's your leafleting that did it, isn't it? Naomi? I think I think you should claim this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, we did put out a letter as well to some households that we thought would probably be likely to vote Lib Dem, or you know, would be more Remainery internationalist, um, encouraging them to to back uh, Labour in this election. But when I was there last week, I was a caveat. I wasn't canvassing. I was only leafleting. But I did get a chance to speak to a few voters. Um, and it was interesting that the Hancock thing had just happened the day before. So the, the news had led with it that morning. And a few Conservative voters that when they asked me who I was leafleting for, and I said, Labour, they said, well, don't bother putting it through our door, we're Conservatives. And I said to them, oh, you know, how, how do you think the government's handled the pandemic? And they then prompted with, oh, well, we saw that Hancock's all over the news this morning. That led the news, didn't it? Oh, well, he's only one rotten apple. The rest of them are all right, aren't they? 
which mm. I thought was interesting. It is interesting. What did you make of uh, of Kim Lebetta as a candidate? You know, obviously, sort of following her in the uh, in the news and on TV. Like, what made her? Because I think when when something is this narrow, the result is this narrow. There's a very strong case that a different candidate would not have won. I think she's a fantastic candidate. I thought she was incredibly brave. It was obviously a hugely personal campaign for her, far more so, I think, than for any other candidate I can I can remember having campaigned for. Um, she was articulate. She worked her socks off, and she, she bloody well deserves this win. Um, but there were rumours at the start of the campaign after the selection happened that there were, I, th- I think it was um, focus group results that were saying to the Conservatives that there was high levels of cynicism among Labour voters that um, Joe Cox's sister had been selected um, and that they felt that that was a bit of a cynical move and they shouldn't have have gone for her and all the rest of it. And then there was all that nonsense about them having to change the rules um, to allow her to stand when she hadn't been a member for very long and and all of that. And actually she'd been a member for a very long time and had resigned after Joe's death so that she could run a charitable foundation free from any kind of political bias. Interestingly, there is a report today that she left because of Corbyn and that Starmer won her back. And maybe this was something that didn't come out during the campaign for for various reasons. But it seems as if, like, it wasn't just because of wanting to run the charity. And and let's remember that, you know, a lot of Labour MPs were very angry with Corbyn for the way he responded to Joe Cox's death and thought that he kind of was emotionally rather sort of toned down. So I I can sort, that sort of makes sense to me that she might have wanted to step away from the party, you know, for, for a number of reasons then. There, there's something to be said, I think, for Ledbeater. And um, because the general narrative of the battle in Spain by-election has been that it's a bitter and divided campaign, that it's, uh, you know, things got very, very nasty up there. And they did to make that narrative a general one, I think, is to ignore the fact that Kim Ledbetter ignored, actually, all the bitterness and ran an incredibly positive campaign. She never got involved with all that stuff going around. She never shifted her message to please a a particular constituency on LGBTQ plus points or on any point. She plowed her own furrow and was rewarded um, for it. And I think that is an incredibly positive thing. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose looking at the kind of the nastiness and and, and sort of extremism in this campaign, um, it's good uh, to know, given given the circumstances around Joe Cox's murder, the politics of her her, her killer, that that the far right completely flamed out. J.D. Franson got 50 votes for Britain, got 97, and even UKIP got 150. Um, So basically all the extremism was coming from a sort of Galloway direction. Yeah, he got one in five votes. Now, what I'm intrigued by here, and I suppose it's been some of the conversations that I've been having this morning, is did he succeed or fail? Because if you looked at, if you said two months ago, George Galloway is going to get 20% of the votes, you'd go, oh my God, what, a, what an upset, almost sort of what, a, what, a, what an achievement. But the narrative was that he was going to cost Labour the seat and even push Labour into third. And so on that level clearly failed how do we assess uh what what galloway did here and 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 what those numbers mean 
I think looking at the numbers, Labour have now got a majority of just 323 votes in that seat. Um, that is uh, from a Labour majority of 3,500. So it's reduced tenfold and their vote share fell to 35%, um, which is down 7% on 2019 general election, 20% decline on the 2017 general election. And the convote did fall too, but only by 1.6%. Um, and Labour vote share has fallen in, I think, something like 12 of the last parliamentary by-elections. Now, Galloway clearly got in the way, big time. And I don't think anyone should um, be anything other than concerned that someone like him can pitch up in a seat and potentially disrupt it in a in a massive way. And had the Liberal Democrat votes not almost entirely switched over to Labour, um, they were 2,000 votes down, for instance, from their recent set of elections in Kirklees Council in, in the Clackeaton area of the constituency where they tend to do quite well. So absolutely crucial. But the really big thing that happened, of course, was the withdrawal of the Green candidate. And again, I think it's probably safe to assume that a a substantial chunk of their vote went over to Labour as well. So uh, while we had uh, Galloway really probably eating in to quite a lot of um, uh, the voters who had already switched from Labour to Conservatives at the last election, um, plus probably some Conservative vote from this election, had it not been for a successful squeeze of the Lib Dem vote and the withdrawal of Green candidate, we would be waking up to incredibly different news this morning. And I think that is just all you know, power to the argument that the opposition parties need to bloody well get their act together and sort themselves out ahead of the next election because it is going to be very difficult for them to win anyway. But to your substantive point about Galloway, um, thrilled he didn't do better. But of course, it's concerning that he can, as a one-trick pony, and and he and himself in certain constituencies, potentially deny uh, a victory for, you know, a more tolerant candidate. I, I mean, yes, but... You know, he he has won seats uh, in the past in this kind of guerrilla warfare. You know, he won Bethnal Green and Bow in 2005. He won Bradford West, I think, in 2012 mm. it was. Mm. So he has done considerably better before in this sort of um, situation. It bothers me. I, one thing that really does bother me is the sort of analysis, um, which suggests that given, given his sort of divisiveness, given his appalling track record, I see him like a foot like Farage. And I think that the people who vote for him, uh, you know, are in some responsible, do, have to own their choice to some extent. And it just seems that because he's from the left, technically, mm. <laughs> I don't actually believe that he is, but um, then it, then it's sort of different. And then it's like, well, what did Labour do wrong that made people vote for George Galloway? And I don't, I ne- I didn't buy it when people went, what did Labour do wrong that made people mm. vote, mm. vote for Nigel Farage? I was like, well, you can't, I, I felt like there was a lot of whitewashing of, of of some of the things that he was. I'm not talking about everybody who voted for him, but there seemed a lot of whitewashing of uh, some of the reasons why people might have voted for him. And, and also, I think it might reveal. I mean, you'll have to look under the bonnet of the actual data to confirm that. But it might reveal that there's simply a group 
of a percentage of voters, especially in that sort of seat, that want to give Labour a kicking, that feel, you know, uh, abandoned or betrayed by Labour, want to do Labour a ki- give Labour a kicking, and will choose the most appropriate vehicle for doing that, whether it's uh, UKIP, whether it's the Brexit Party, whether it's a Conservative candidate, or whether it's George Galloway. Well, then why not the Conservative candidate? Because I think George Galloway is probably a a closer step for them. In the same way that UKIP acted as a sort of entry point uh, to voters switching from Labour to Conservative, uh, because we hear that a lot in the North East seats, that... uh, you know, it would be much more difficult psychologically for a vo- for a voter that's voted Labour their entire life to suddenly vote Conservative. But if they voted Brexit Party last election, it makes that transition easier. And so maybe George Galloway represents that intermediate step where, you know, they feel they're not voting Tory, which is sort of culturally ingrained as a bad thing in in large areas up there. I mean, I don't know. Well, perhaps there's a high information, low information thing here, and that I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely disgusted, given Joe Cox's record on Syria, uh, that people would be voting for somebody who has kind of uh, denied Assad's responsibility for chemical weapons attacks. You know, I think I think there is something morally despicable about a lot of things that Galloway does. And I find it hard to accept which what you say, which I'm sure is actually true, which is a lot of people aren't really thinking about that. They're not responding to his homophobic dog whistles and they're not thinking about his, you know, support for dictators. Or, Or they are. No, I'm saying I'm sure not everybody is. No, not everybody. But some people are. You know, that's the point. The the point of of this entire shift in voting patterns is in in large part that there are chunks of the working class vote which are socially conservative. And and so if you can present a sort of faux lefty um, you know, mythology around your persona, but throw in a little bit of social bigotry in the mix. That's quite an attractive mix for some people. Naomi, this does take the heat off Starmer for a while. It's an odd one. I mean, politics is, election results are really weird because you, you, you a few hundred votes in the other direction. And it would be Starmer must go and who are the runners and riders and, oh, my God, Labour's dead in the water. A few hundred votes in the right direction and it's just like, ah, no leadership challenge. Uh, <laughs> everybody carry on. Um, I mean, did you believe, obviously there were certain people who, who very much wanted a leadership challenge. Mm. How seriously did you take the idea that there would actually, uh, there was actually going to be one? I didn't, um, and that was largely because I, I do talk to a lot of Labour MPs a lot of the time, and I just didn't feel that there was going to be a sufficient groundswell amongst the PLP to to try and uh, topple him or, or, or you know go for it, go for a challenge. So I didn't think at this stage it, it was likely. Um, but what you're going to find amongst Labour, but also you're hearing it already this morning from Lib Dems, um, notably uh, the the um, president of the Lib Dems, Mark Pack, is, oh, look, you know, this is it. 
voters can be trusted, they can do the right thing, they know how to vote tactically, <laughs> we shouldn't insult their intelligence by fielding a single candidate or having non-aggression packs in place and all the rest of it. And what what is true is that today probably hasn't changed much at all. This isn't the start of a rapid decline in support for the Conservative Party, despite them now having lost two by-elections in a fortnight. This isn't about some major resurgence of the left parties. The you know this is this is a very 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 slim victory, and it, mm. it can't be cast as anything other than that. And Starmer still has got a fight on his hands internally, trying to keep his party together. And if you think about the pure electoral maths of this, Blair achieved a swing of ninety. Oh, sorry, of ten percent in nineteen ninety seven, and that returned him an enormous majority off the back of a pretty decent Lib Lab pact that was done behind the scenes between Paddy Ashdown and Peter Mandelson. Mm. In order for Starmer to get the keys to number 10, he would also need a 10% swing, as things stand in the polls at the moment. And that would deliver him a working majority of one. And when you think about just how fractured the PLP is at the moment, he wouldn't be able to govern with a majority of one. There would be far too many rebellion uh, votes uh, on critical issues that would mean he would probably still have to be in some kind of confidence and supply arrangement with the Liberal Democrats. And that's before boundary changes, which are due to take place as of the summer of 2023, which make it even more favourable uh, in England for the Conservatives. Um, and uh, therefore makes the swing required for Labour even bigger. Um, and then don't even get me started on whether or not Scotland is still part of UK elections or not. So the the the, the critical path, that path to victory for anyone who wants to get rid of the Conservatives is going to be, I'm afraid, and I know it's unpopular with some listeners and with some members of the cast as well, but it is going to have to be some form of, of working together. And Pacts can take many different, you know, it doesn't have to be just fielding a single candidate, but it, it is absolutely clear that it's the only way. That green candidate standing down was probably the major factor in Kim's victory this morning. Right, we're going to put a jar in the studio and every time <laughs> you manage to turn a question round to uh, an endorsement for the Progressive Alliance, <laughs> you, you're going to have to put five pounds in the jar and then we'll give it, to, also, give it to charity it, it, at the end of the year. Listeners might want to visit betterwritten.org forward slash um, proportional <laughs> poll because that's where all of our polling is about what the average voter thinks about um, uh, alliances and tactical voting. I hate tactical voting. I don't want to have to do it. But we've got this ridiculous first-past-the-post system. So anyone that says they don't like first-past-the-post and wants PR has to do something to deliver it. And at the moment, the only way it's going to be delivered is a one-off holding of the nose and, and doing some kind of alliance mm. and, and and candidate, um, voters do like to be told who to vote for. They actually do. It's local party activists that say, no, they don't. Then you should give them, you know, the right to vote for whoever they want. Is that, is that a particular local right. activist? <laughs> <laughs> they, they love Naomi on the doorstep. Doing <laughs> um, can I, so I agree, I agree with a lot of that. Um, what I'm going to slightly disagree with is the framing of the question of whether this has a, a, a larger significance for conservative support. I agree with Naomi that it doesn't mean a sort of ebbing away of support for the conservatives. But what it does mean is a stemming of their momentum. Um, I think internally for the party, psychologically, 
you know, this notion that Boris Johnson is a sort of magical being that means you win every single election that comes along. And don't, don't, uh, um, you know, don't make the mistake of thinking the Conservatives didn't throw everything they had at this election. Unless you think Nissan randomly decided to announce a gigafactory in the Northeast on the day of the election, and Boris Johnson happened to be in the area in a hard hat and Ivy's jacket. They threw everything at this election, and the fact that they failed to win it will hurt because it stems that sense of momentum, that sense that they're invincible, that sense that no seat is safe. Well, that's it. I mean, I spe- one of the maddening things about political punditry, I find, um, and uh, is is the way that everything can mean whatever you want it to mean, yes. and that and that normally because he's a well, governments are expected to lose by elections, so it's no big deal that the Tories lost this one. But like that does ignore all the narrative and the polls leading up to this that they were going to take it, and yeah. so it does feel like more of a more of a sort of setback than normally a by election lost by the governing party would. I mean, everyone. I I hope the listeners have seen the wonderful sort of um, Aaron Bastani um, tweet from yesterday that was basically talking about the election as if Labour had lost it and was saying that what Labour could have done to win it uh, would be for Keir Starmer to have visited the constituency. (laughs) And And then today, literally, First thing in the morning, he tweets that what Labour did right to win that constituency was that they kept Starmer away, which is the classic, you know, whatever happens confirms exactly what I thought. Gen- genuinely Orwellian, <laughs> I thought that one. That, that was real Eurasia Oceana. Um, and I just want to end, I suppose, by, by thinking more in the short term, I know what you're saying, Naomi, about um, the challenges uh, that, that Labour's going to have in the next general election. But it seems that, that, that after that whole fuss with, with Angela Rayner being demoted, the new national campaign chair, Shabana Mahmood, and her deputy, Conor McGinn, were getting quite a lot of, quite a lot of praise uh, from MPs and activists in the lead-up to the, into, to the by-election. And obviously this is a result, a close result, but it's a result. Um, there's mm. been quite a shake-up in Keir Starmer's office. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people who were clearly doing a bad job have gone. So just in the short term, is this is that appointment followed that shake up followed by this result a sign that perhaps Lotto it's weird. People don't really call it Lotto like they did in the Corbyn days, but it's it's still Lotto. Is sort of getting its uh it's getting its shit together. Yes. Um I think it is all moving in a positive direction and I just think if nothing else it's a good cultural reset. Um, if we think about how diabolically the reshuffle was handled um, uh, earlier in the year uh, and the messaging around that, whereas this time you've got some you know, great reinforcement messaging of we've brought in some fresh blood and look, we've had a win. Um, so yeah, I think just culturally, internally for them, it, it'll be the boost that they need to to, to carry on. And I'm, I'm I'm pretty hopeful about some of the new appointments. I think I think you know many of them are, are incredibly experienced and good people with some great ideas. And I think what we're going to end is this kind of fortress around Lotto. 
Mm. where you can't get in, you can't penetrate. And I think they're now going to be much more open to connectors and people that have got good ideas from, you know, outside the traditional, uh, you know, policy thinkers and think tanks that, that they would normally work with being brought in to give a view and an idea and share and a much more collegiate and collaborative way of working. So I'm quite excited about that. So there was another little electoral result yesterday that I think bears just popping an eyeball onto. <gasps> Cobham and Downside had a little by-election for the ward for the Elmbridge uh, Council. Now, is this in the Esher and Walton constituency? Yeah, in Dominic Raab's uh, backyard. Um, and there was a massive swing of 18 point something percent of the Liberal Democrats that puts the, the, the council from conservative control to Liberal Democrat control. And like I said, that's in Dominic Raab's backyard. Um, so I, you know, I've been banging this drum for some months now. I think the conservatives by pouring money into the north and this new, um, this new rhetoric, uh, this new friend of the working man shtick, I think they have left themselves very vulnerable in other more traditionally conservative constituencies in which actually numerically they are in a, in a, a marginal situation. So um, maybe Labour should be paying, paying attention to their numbers as they are today rather than the historical patterns as they were 20 years ago. Now that constituency, Alex, you're right to mention because it had the largest swing to the Lib Dems in the 2019 general election. Monica Harding is the Liberal Democrat candidate there um, and she actually does do a lot of work around Progressive Alliance stuff um, and uh, if she continues to play her cards right probably will take that seat from Dominic Raab at the next election. Well, thanks for joining us on an uncommonly upbeat emergency <laughs> edition of I Got Normal service will resume next yeah. week. <laughs> Maybe we should call these Schadenfreude editions rather than emergency ones. <laughs> I just can't. I can't get over it. What with uh, with the, the Matt Hancock affair and then uh, England, Germany, and now this. I'm all. I know what's I'm going all, on. Where's my, where's my safe space of gloom and horror? <laughs> uh, so, thank you, Alex. Thank you, and Naomi. Good to join you. And thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you on the regular show next week. Mm-hmm.